Dzień dobry, dzieci. It's the Flurza Experience. This is episode number 21. That's a full blackjack there. Uh, you, I'm try, I, <laughs> you wrote, you wrote this one. You put this little script together. So there's no name for you. And I, I there's no name. <laughs> I didn't come up with one. Um, Good. We're fully grown. We're fully grown. We are. 21. 21. That's, yeah. that's, that's the number I was going for when so, we started. If we were all squirtles, we are now war turtles. And yes. Is episode 100 when we hit Blastoise status? I hope so. Okay. Although I'm more of a Charizard type of guy. But are you? Yeah. I've always liked the water Pokemon best. I mean, that's just me. Or like, because they're very related to the ice Pokemon, and I like the ice stuff very much. The ice one are the ice ones are really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's where we're at. We're at episode 21. The topic today is going to be deck building strategies and deck building tools, um, mainly just to sort of improve how you get there. Because it's not just about, you know, net decking is part of it, but net decking is only one little aspect of it. And we've I think we've spoken about net decking a little bit, but... We did. Yeah, uh, but we're going to talk about how to build a deck a little bit, and uh, that's it. But how how was your week? I'm, and <laughs> part of this is because I know how your week was, because you, like a psychopath, a psychopath, a psychopath. Yeah, you're a psychopath. You went to the city of Dansk, which is, um, you know, it's not that far. It's like a four-hour drive, but you didn't drive. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's a funny story because um, a week prior to my trip to, to Gdansk um, on last Saturday, my friend hit me up, uh, or he just posted on Instagram that he's getting some people together because he wants to bike to, to Gdańsk. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I, ha I know a lot of friends who bike there. Um, it's like a standard destination from Warsaw to Gdańsk or from Warsaw to the seaside and then to Gdańsk because from Gdańsk, it's much easier to take a train back to Warsaw. Um, and we're like, yeah, I'll, let's do it. I, I haven't like put a challenge in front of myself for quite some time. Um, and I wanted to do something new, something different. So yeah, I started, I didn't really prepare for it. The only thing I did is I bought like a proper bag to put in the back, back of my bike. So where I can actually pack some clothes to change spare parts if I need them and kind of, you know, things to fix the bike on the go and lots of food, of course. Um, and I learned that two more friends are coming. So there was supposed to be the four of us. And my, my, my packing bag came on Friday, so just before we left for the trip. So I just packed it up very nicely, quickly, put, it, put the bike all together, pumped the tires, check if everything is fine, and we're going to go. And my friend um, texted me saying that, oh, by the way, I won't be able to go because uh, I have something with my Achilles tendon and my foot got swollen and I can't oh, go. Oh, that sounds like an excuse to me. <laughs> no, he, he sent photos and it looked like, it looked bad, it looked like, you know, like a watermelon, watermelon ankle, pretty much. So, so he's a Photoshop like, artist too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh man, and I and I wrote to the two other guys, which I never met in my life. By the way, are we doing this? And they're like, yeah, we're doing this. I'm like, oh cool. I meet you at three three a.m. in the morning <laughs> on Saturday. And let's do it. And yeah, we met up and it was funny because I, I went to get from my place there and we met like in the center, you need to go through uh, like next to the Vistula River. And now it's like a place where a lot of people party. So I was just, you know, 
trying to swerve through drunken people, trying to get home and, you know, puking everywhere. <laughs> and we met up and I'm like, hi, my name is Pavel. That guy is like, hey, my name is Pavel. I'm Patrick. I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you guys. So what, we're going? We're going. And we went. And yeah, long story short, um, to the place that we wanted to get, so to the seaside, to eat some, you know, some some nice fried fish with with chips from um, from blue jeans. Not from blue jeans. Uh, Not from. I'll, I'll get to blue jeans later. Um, <laughs> so so it was three hundred and thirty kilometers. So we went. Uh, it was pretty much nonstop. We only stopped um, every like fifty kilometers at a gas station to fill up on water and food. And yeah, it was just a lot of candy bars eaten and non-alcoholic beers drank in order to get to the seaside. We got to the seaside, we ate the fish, we drank some beers, and then we went to Gdańsk, like 33 kilometers more. So it was 360 kilometers in total um, for the whole trip, which was really fun. <laughs> oh, really? Was it? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a you thing. It's, that's it's definitely funny. not a me thing. It's funny because we had we had like a lot of wind coming in from the side. There wasn't a lot of headwind, so pretty much it was an e easy, even cruise. The last kilometers were the, the the toughest ones. Everything above three hundred, you're just you feel like you're depleted, and then when you're whenever you eat something, you get like a burst of energy, like sugar goes up, and then it just goes down, and you need to do it all over again. So it's like up and down, up and down. But yeah, we got there, we got some proper food in us. And then the last leg of 30 kilometers to Gdańsk was just like easy peasy, felt fresh. And then I, I got, I, I only had like a train um, ticket back, but they had their train on the same day. Mine was next day in the morning. So I got a hotel. I pretty much ate something and I fell asleep. Although I, I wanted to go to Blue Jeans, but I looked, it was like four four point five kilometers away. I'm like, nope, sorry. You just Blue did three hundred and sixty and you're like four and a half no, kilometers is too I'm long. Like, no, no. We will have to wait for Flake to come to, to come to Poland and then we go together. Otherwise, no freaking way. Because the train is like three hours or sometimes less if you take the fast one. And it's not very expensive, so we can just take, whenever you're here, we'll just take a trip to Blue Jeans and well, back. Th so this is exactly, because when I, I had mentioned this to my mom, and I was like, uh, I'm like, oh, do you, you remember Pavel? And she's like, of course. And I said, well, he, oh, he went to Dysk. And she's like, oh, that's very nice. And I'm like, yeah, he biked there. And she's like, what? Is he crazy? Well, that's not her voice. But, and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, and what's funny is I'm like, I think I might be going back to Poland soon, hopefully, to, I want to go visit Pavel. And I'm like, I think we're going to go to Gdańsk. And she's like, you're not biking there, are you? I said, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why not? He could do it. It's easy. She's like, Matthew, you just got out of the hospital. What are you going to do? You can't. I'm like, I got out of there two years ago. I'm fine. I'm like, I'm good. Let's do this. And she's like, oh, my God. When do you go? Where do you go? On the roads? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on the roads. But you omit the, the ones that have heavy traffic. So you kind of take the... My parents call it the old, old route before we had like the highways actually getting there because now we have like a, you know, like a fast highway that goes straight to Gdańsk, but you can still omit and go through the more scenic routes and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it was beautiful, especially that we started very early in the morning. Um, it took us uh, almost 11 hours just to get to the seaside, which is pretty good with an average of 30 kilometers per hour, like um, nonstop non almost. Which which is pretty good. I, I to be honest, I wasn't expecting us to be that good. But the guys were saying that um, if I wasn't there, there would be probably like two hours later 
because I was kind of like pushing them to go faster a little bit. Um, yeah, I just felt good. It was a, it was one of those days that you feel good, you feel almost invincible, and you just push for it, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm that's exactly that's you know, it's like uh, sometimes uh, the elevator takes too long. I just take the stairs, you know, three, exactly. three flights, and I'm like that. I'm like fuck yeah. I'm like that's exactly like what Pavel did. Exactly, exactly, it's the exact same thing, same workout. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just, how you a, do it. just, just a lot of calories burned and a lot of a lot of candy bars and. You know, when 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 Arya came to visit and we went rock climbing, I did uh -huh. like one I did like one wall and I was like dead and she's like upside down hanging and she's like, What are you doing? Come on, let's go. I'm like, dear God. <laughs> she was like a Pokemon. Like just, like, just climbing walls and just like, Come on, it's let's just, go. Arya, Arya. <laughs> it's just practice. If you do everything if you do something a lot for like I've been cycling consecutively for the last, I don't know three to four years like non-stop and since i'm doing that and uh i was also last two weeks i was also working out in the gym a little bit to kind of you know work on also some like strength related stuff so my back doesn't ache and i don't feel like i'm broken after the whole trip i feel like that helped a lot because um yeah it just let me get there without any problems and now after it, I'm kind of thinking about what to do next in terms of like uh, something that is going to be epic. <laughs> uh, you can go through the like polar ice caps and bike your way over to Canada if you want. That would be, that would, that would be interesting. To no. do You'd have to like dog sled at some point, go yeah. through like the North Pole. Yeah. I don't think they, they made tires good enough for that. Not just yet. yet. Well, they no. probably have them here in Canada. We're not, Ooh. you're not, we're not wussies. So. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Deck building and deck building strategies, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Let's get back to the CCG portion of the program. Uh, we had our little chats, but Pavel, deck building and deck building strategies is what's on the docket here. And again, the first thing that we kind of want to probably brush aside is that, yes, net decking is a thing. There's nothing wrong with it. We've spoken about this at length in previous episodes. Um, so it's very easy to go out there and just lift the list that is tried, tested, and true. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because, hey, why, why reinvent the wheel uh, when there's something out there? But what we want to talk about, I think, is how to make something from scratch or how to take something, perhaps the shell of something that exists, and how to customize it and improve it so that you see success. Now, y there's building decks for tournaments, which is is its own beast, and there's building decks for ladder grind and ladder grind is something i think that's really exclusive to digital clients and yeah. such like that so we can we'll, we'll probably have the lion's share of the discussion be about that but for you pavel i know for myself i'm not a good deck builder i've never claimed to be you know i'm not the the way that i've sort of argued it is that you know there are i think i've said this on the podcast before is that there are way more pilots than there are aero aeronautical engineers there's way more yes. people who fly the planes than there are who design them so it's very similar to deck building um because mm -hmm. you know you anybody can kind of fold a piece of paper together make a paper airplane and throw it and it'll fly for 20 yards but that's not gonna get you anywhere you you know you need an actual thing so are you a deck builder pavel I, like i'm not I'm I'm really not to be honest. Um, I'm actually, which uh, a lot of people listening will gasp. Um, I I enjoy uh, net decking a lot, uh, but to a certain extent, uh, I don't feel like net decking is the only thing that I do because I like to just check out cards in my collection sometimes, and if I feel like there's a card that I like, and 
that I can build something around, I try to build something around it. Of course, this is not going to be something which is good, which is very competitive, but it's going to be fun to play for sure. And um, I go through a process of trying to streamline the deck a little bit, um, make it better. Um, but I feel like in both digital and physical, um, I kind of know which cards are good, which cards are bad based off of what's being played in a given meta. So sometimes it's if it's Gwent, it's just a couple things that are getting changed. Like you got to fit in the Pofco Gale to your deck if you're playing Squirtle, for example, even if he's not good at the moment. But just just do it for for bragging rights. But sometimes uh, also like adding cards that I feel like will change the deck a little bit. But I don't feel like I'm reinventing something from scratch. I'm just adding more of a personal touch to the whole thing. Um, I feel like now with the possibility of mixing, you know, both elves and dwarves a little bit and having also like a, a different versions of a hand buff deck in this meta lets you kind of play around with that stuff. So that's that's what I like to do. Just drop in a couple cards, which I feel like, you know, work for me and my play style. As for magic, I just go from like... I know that I want to play this card or I see a new card being revealed and I'm like, okay, I want to build around it or I want to add it to my existing deck and test it. And best based on a couple matches played or a couple FNMs that I go to played, I kind of know if it works for me or not. But I never reinvent the wheel from, from scratch saying like, I am now going to create the meta breaker deck, 10 out of 10 wins, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, my favorite term in all of card games is meta breaker. Exactly. Like, all right, all right. Give, your, give, your, <laughs> give your ego a rest there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You went, yeah, you went 3 0 <laughs> on, day, on day one. There is no meta to break. Yeah. Um, testing, testing pool, three matches out yeah. of three. Yeah. Three, 100% win rate. Wow. Rank 18 to 17 in six minutes. Off three disconnects. It was the best day of my life. Um, Amen. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, there's the tweaking aspect and, and it, there's no shame in not being the architect who built something from scratch. But typically, like you mentioned, there are certain cards that kind of grasp your attention, especially when new cards are revealed. There are cards that enhance existing decks, like we've seen it in the past where, um, you know, let's say... Uh, for example, in, in Flesh and Blood, if a card comes out, a new, a new set came out where there's a lot more ice cards, ice talented cards... And that supports uh, previous expansions that had Ice Heroes. So a lot of people see cards and say, wow, this would go really well in a Lexi deck or an Oldham deck. Uh, or there are cards that come out where people see them and say, this is a build-around card. This is the thematic uh, anchor to what I'm trying to make. And uh, you know, an example for that might be, um, you know, in Magic, Magic has a lot of alternate win condition cards. You know, uh, Approach of the Second Sun, for example, was one all the yep. way back in Amonkhet. These are these are build around cards. Scenarios in Gwent are build around cards. Um, those are kind of the 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 framework that you you go and and building around those are fine. And I think the strategy that people need, and again, we're going to give you strategies based on how to build successful decks. Successful meaning that can win games relatively consistently at at least a 50, 40 to fifty percent clip. You know. Um, Building building decks that obviously provide you with a fun experience is important too, uh, but fun is is relatively subjective. So we're not going to dig too deep into that. I think, but 
I think when you're building a deck, Pavel, the most important thing that you need to do is you need to focus more so on you, obviously, on your own deck. And a lot of people will be like, well, what if, you know, what do I include this to beat this? Do I include this to beat this? I think that 90% of any deck needs to be self sustaining and needs to be self um, validating yeah. in that respect. You, ha you can't build a deck too worried about your opponent's strategies. So the deck building process in my eyes has always been. If there's a 60-card deck, all 60 cards are going to support my strategy. As yeah. I play it, I eventually figure out what cards are weakest or least integral to executing my strategy. And then from yeah. that point onward, if I'm saying, if I have a 60-card deck and I say, well, you know what? These 10 cards perform the least or were least relevant to attaining my goal. Let's now cut these, put in neutral like neutral related or non-specific cards see how the deck functions there and then those 10 neutral cards can then be swapped for counter cards or uh -huh. or counter strategy cards that are meant to you know dunk on my opponent or be very uh high risk high reward in certain cases but for the most part i want my my build my deck building strategy to be very self-sufficient out of the gate and then i start worrying about everything else yeah I have a similar approach. Uh, whenever I'm building something, I focus mainly on, uh, especially if it's a deck that is not very, let's say, prevalent or played. I have this, especially in Magic, like there are decks that I, I don't see like in Modern being played a lot. Like they used to be played, but now they kind of have fallen off, but I still like to play them because I, I like the core cards of the, of the deck. And yeah, I, I pretty much build it in a, in a sense that I first ask my question, like, what is the purpose of this deck? Like, what is, what do I win with? Um, so my win condition is this, or if it's Gwent, then my engines are these, how do I use them? Okay. So in order to support them, I need this and this and that. The magic is like, okay, in order to win, I need this. But also in magic, I feel like I spend more time thinking about the mana base because it's very crucial. Um, and sometimes, you know, one land can make all the world of a difference of how the, you know, the deck shuffles up and what you draw into and how it plays. Um, I actually have a tendency of adding too many instead of, uh, lessening up. And then I would just, you know, be starting to cut, uh, the amount of lands that I have. I also think about the mana curve. So how many one cost, two cost, three cost, four cost, blah, 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 um, cards that I have and seeing how it curves out. And based off of that, I'm kind of able to anticipate how to how to structure the mana base around it. Um, but yeah, I think for, for like the, the initial stage of deck building, I think about how am I going to win the game? And I try to put in as many cards that will give me the, the W or will support the W. Um, and then I also get into like, you sometimes get into this mistake when you have too many cards that are just about like win, win, win. And your deck starts to become very uninteractive. So then you need to start adding interactive cards. And for me, interactive cards are cards like removal, cards that boost, cards that protect, for example, give hexproof, give any type of thing to, you know, to keep your stuff on the board. Um, and um, yeah, I feel like removal is also very important here because you sometimes see threats being played by your opponent and you need to be interacting with those threats as soon as possible. Um, until they get out of hand and kind of ruin your game plan. So depending on what your deck is, you're either trying to protect stuff or you're trying to um, 
um, get rid of stuff which is problematic for you. Or if you're a control deck, you focus on mainly controlling the board, wiping the board, and then restarting the game and uh, pretty much bleeding your opponent for as many resources as possible as quick as you can in order to try to get them into a more or less locked state where you're able to, you know, always counter, always destroy, and then play your win con and try to win the game with that. So that's that's kind of how, how I do it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You need to focus on your game plan first and then think about what you want to do moving forward. Like, do I need more interactive stuff? Do I need graveyard hate? Do I need um, royal decrees or neuromancy, for example? Do I need things that will tutor for, for specific cards that I need? Or if I don't need that because I have like a couple copies of a win condition and I'm able to get to these, there's like many things that go go into this, but first I just focus on on the main plan for the deck. Yeah, that's that's an important element is, uh, of course, like you, you don't know, you can't build a house without a good foundation and the foundation is obviously going to be your your own winning conditions and your own strategies. And I would also typically suggest like a very, um, you know, very novice deck builder should probably not build uh, decks that run that are are based on control elements i think that's that's oftentimes difficult because i find that control decks often need to understand their opponent's win conditions and their opponent's oh, yeah. game plans the best different win conditions means that you need to uh, that that you're facing needs different strategies of control to how to counter them uh do you hold a counter spell do you hold a um you know a kill a kill card like uh you know to kill a, a specific planeswalker or creature or whatnot you know these are very important things the heat wave when do you hold your heat wave for keltulus for the defender for uh, a scenario what do you hold the heat wave for so these are very important elements so building a, a deck that's surrounded exclusively around control needs a, a very more a much more deeper understanding of your opponent's win condition than your own because your win condition is making sure that they run out of threats and then your little threats can eventually pump through um yeah like the best uh, another piece of advice that i would probably give to people is understanding when a card is integral and important to a game strategy and when a card is win more a win more yep. card is a very uh high you know it's kind of like a, a situation where it is mostly effective when you're already in a favorable game state so for example cards that say things like uh you know i'm just this is a hypothetical card but there's if there was a card that said like if you're uh, you know boost self by 20 if you're winning by 20 you know yeah. that that is a win more card you're already ahead by 20 so what's the difference of of paying provisions to get a that much more ahead when that card that you're playing is probably better used uh for something else so those are win more cards and yeah. having the the fine tuned you know instinct to determine when a card is win more and one a card is just really good is is important to the deck building process because that's where you can kind of weed out these win more cards and those are the cards that you want to eventually um um swap for uh you know counter strategy cards for more removal mm -hmm. or for purification if it's gwent for counter spells if it's magic for defense reactions if it's fl uh, flesh and blood these are the those are the kinds of cards that you need to identify yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, also going back to what you mentioned, if, if if someone is really eager to play control, I would I would wait until you 
actually know when you like where you're playing control because in order to play control you really need to know the meta like super well i feel like to play control you need to know the game much better than the player that is trying to carry out like his or her win condition i feel like of course you need to know what you're playing against because that's that's what it starts with but control needs to know kind of what flake said like when to counter when to interact when to when to not when to wait um, before you do, I don't know, let's say like a, like a wrath, uh, where you pretty much destroy everything that your opponent has, or, you know, same thing goes like, what do you banish out of the graveyard or what, um, what do you use the heat wave on? Just, those were good examples. And then, yeah, I fully agree with you that, um, moving forward, you will be kind of fine tuning things because. I feel like we all get into a situation where we have like win more cards in our, in our deck. And sometimes you feel like, you know, they're not really doing much for you. They're, you're, you're, in a, you're in a point where you have a good enough cushion, you should be pushing for the win. And this sometimes the win more cards are not really helping you, uh, where you're supposed to be at a time doing something different within the game plan. If you should be like closing the game, if you should be already... Um, but sometimes you, I mean, sometimes the win more like get additional life or you know, things that prolong the game in some sense can help you because they'll let you draw into things maybe later on and, you know, you'll have the life cushion in order to carry out a couple more steps. And sometimes you get into a point in a game where you feel like it's over and that you're going to lose. But thanks to this cushion that you've built up, you're kind of able to, to move forward. But it doesn't always happen. And sometimes you just feel like you're just drawing into the win more cards. You just have all the win more or the cards that, you know, carry out one thing while you cannot do that one thing before because, well, you're pretty much something that was important to your game plan was either removed, countered, destroyed, whatever. And then you're kind of stuck with cards that aren't really doing much for you. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of things that go into this. Like, it's also important to have cards that, you know, let you draw their cards, like let you filter through your deck, let, let you do any type of, um, you know, hand fixing and stuff like that. These are important, especially if you rely on a combo deck. If you're playing an aggro deck, you just want to slam as many creatures on the board and see if they stick. And if they stick, buff the hell out of them and destroy, destroy your opponent as quick as possible before they're able to carry out their game plan. But if you're playing aggro versus like control deck, uh, you pretty much, you know, you will get into a spot where they destroy, 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 and you're just drawing, like, uh, if it's magic, you're one card per your turn, and whatever you're put, putting on the board just gets destroyed or countered, and you're, and you're stuck. And um, it's very hard to build back unless your opponent gets to a point where he or she is just like, well, I can't do anything anymore. I've used all my counters, and I used all my destruction spells, but... Of course they haven't. They have a whole deck built around that. So you need to think about those things. And it's also important then when carrying out your game plan, not to play all your creatures at the same time, because you might be anticipating that you're going to get all of them removed. And if you're, you know, I, I get this tendency when I'm doing well within, you know, uh, I play uh, Arena from time to time and I have this mono white deck that is just creatures, 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 and they rely on getting as many as possible. And there's there's this one creature that its power is equal to the number of creatures that you have. So you're trying to you know ramp it up, get as many as possible. 
and then your opponent plays like Bloodhook Massacre and then destroys your whole board and you're like, well, there goes my game plan. I yeah. have one card in hand, which is like a boost spell. And what am I going to boost? Because I have nothing on the board, right? So you need to think about these things too. Yeah, you're you're playing that risky gambit of of just kind of, uh, it's called overcommitting. Uh, this isn't, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a concept that's basically, um, it's, it, it's, fits for so many different games uh partially i mean over committing in magic is like there's there's like you mentioned you know putting everything on the board when you're already way ahead uh, and just dying to something like uh you know any type of wrath effect a cleansing nova mm -hmm. a wrath of god or whatever you know just any kind of board wipe uh also when i got into the game my over committing was all right my opponent has like almost no I'm gonna see if you can pick up what I'm what I'm leading to. Nothing mm -hmm. on the board. Uh, you have like eight creatures, but they have four four mana open and two of it is white. And you're like, do I swing with everything? What do I swing with? And then you you end up swinging with like three creatures, like one good one and like two bad ones. And people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I I do you know what I'm I'm leading to? You know the card that you're yeah. worried about um is it are you talking about a recent card or something well that in the past like five years four years oh i don't know what you're talking about settle the I, wreckage I, come on you know. settle the wreckage. yeah okay. you know okay. like those whole things where they're like they don't they just like don't block <laughs> and you're like yeah. and they're like and they just look at you with four open mana and you're like god damn it so that is a uh, another element of over committing uh is that in gwent it's like you're ahead by like 30 points you're in round one and you keep putting down huge cards I to stay ahead that. yep that's over committing that. as well guilty, yeah. guilty. <laughs> oh my god like when i my favorite part about sometimes like playing uh in gwent against you know novice players was that i would they would just really try to buy the farm with all the gold cards and i would just give them these like small little and i'm like they are so horny to win this round i'm just gonna keep i'm gonna dump all my trash because they keep giving me their good cards and i would just be like yeah you know, you just push your luck a little bit. I'm like, all right, here's another five provision bronze. Here's another four provision bronze. And they're like, nine provision card, 10 provision card. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, once all my bad cards are out of my hand, it's like, all right, you in the round. We go to round two, they pass. And then I have all my good cards for round three. Yeah. And yeah. then it's it goes from there. That's another element of overcommitting. In Hearthstone, you fill up a board against Warrior and then they brawl you and you're like, damn yeah. it. You know, that's overcommitting. So that is akin very much to like the win more in terms of deck building of putting those cards in there that are, are important. But once you get past that, once you've identified your own deck strategy, what is integral to it, what the win conditions are, and you've then you start looking at the meta. And that's where those 10 spots of, you know, um, those 10 spots of sort of cards that can come in and out uh, or in magic, that's where you build your 15 card sideboard. Yeah. Um, that's where those those elements come in. But that is is best done with a very keen understanding of the meta. Deck building is not just about putting cards into a deck and going and showing up because when you're constructing your deck, understanding the meta is so important. It's like like I'm it's like that aeronautical engineer analogy. The aeronautical engineer, it's not just about understanding how to put the nuts and bolts together. It's an understanding the way that the winds work, the way like your aerodynamics uh, lift, thrust, all that stuff. You need to understand everything surrounding it, the climate, and that's the same thing of like the meta. Where if if you uh, you need to understand, you know, building a plane 
that's meant to fly, you know, 75,000 feet in the air, like an SR-71, or uh, a, a Boeing A320 that's like 30,000 feet. Like, they're built differently. A space shuttle needs different, you know, but you have to understand the climate and what you're building for. So that sideboard, those, those 10 sort of flex spots in a deck, you can use those to disrupt strategies. If, if you have a firm grasp of what the meta is, that's where you decide, do I need more tall removal? Like, or you know, do, I, do I slap in a Lacerate or do I slap in a Geralt Pro? Do I slap yeah. in uh, a Purify or do I slap in um, you know, something that does a lot of random damage? Or do I need you know, more four provision you know, smash cards and stuff like that? That's the understanding because that four provision slot, those, those, in my estimation, I always feel like there's typically one card that's like 10 provision or greater, one card that's in like the six to nine range, and then about one or two cards in the four provision to, to five provision slots that are your flex spots, that are your, your key disruption. That's where like squirrel fits. That's where purification fits. And at the top end, yeah. that's where things like, uh, a Geralt might fit like an Eardin or an Igni or a, a, an Axie and in the middle slots that's where you have more more Purify like something like Kurt with a Bounty Giver that's where you have um, you know maybe another big removal spell another lock things like that those are the key elements but you need an understanding of what the meta looks like so that you can determine in this four provision spot do I need Graveyard Hate or do I need Purification do I need more direct damage or do I need more boost? And no. that's that's the, the key element of deck building is a firm grasp of what the meta looks like. Yeah, it's very situational. And you kind of like once you have the base down, uh, you start tweaking and testing. And that's kind of where you find. I also sometimes feel that there are decks that, you know, work for specific people based on the rank that they are. Same goes for in Magic. Um, the decks that you know play at a certain meta game or like they're different than the decks that I would bring, for example, to my local shop, right? Because I know that the meta there is a little bit different. People bring different stuff than what is currently on top, like in Magic Online, for example, right? Uh, same goes for like Arena. It's, it's different stuff is being played there that I would see being played in, in standard in the shop that I have. And same goes for Gwent, depending on which rank you are. People are playing different decks and you kind of are able to anticipate what you might queue into. And it's funny because with Gwent, you can sometimes even pinpoint specific times of the day where people queue in and the type of decks that they normally bring, which is funny because I feel like the people that play midday, uh, there's a lot of mill always uh, if you're not in pro rank. But if you're in pro rank, the field might look totally different and you need to be prepared for that. So I feel like with the climb even that you're doing, you might be tweaking stuff in between the ranks that you are. The higher you are, the I feel like the more variety you'll get, especially if you're pro rank, because I think this is something that me and Flake kind of agreed on in one of the previous episodes, is the fact that you know people up to pro rank play like crazy clutch stuff that gets them there. And once they're there, you know, they start testing other stuff out. They like they start playing around with different decks because they're not, you know, they're, they're, there's nothing to lose there. They're already in, in pro rank, right? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And um, again, understanding the meta is also as, in terms of where you are. The weather at the bottom of the mountain isn't the same as the weather at the top of the mountain. And um, 
So you got to prepare for that as well. So that's the other part is uh, the deck building process is you need to be flexible and you need to understand that what worked yesterday will not necessarily work today. What worked at rank 18 will not necessarily work at rank 10, won't work at rank 5, won't work at pro. So that no. that busting out of your stubbornness is incredibly important. And being humble about the experience, you're, you have to expect that if you're building a deck that it's going to lose more likely than it will win early on as you're just getting your no. footing. The deck building process, and part of why I'm not a big deck builder is because I try to avoid it because it's an incredibly harrowing experience and it's not good for your mental health if your if your whole life was went which mine was and you're building game you're building decks and and it's and you're trying to be creative and all you're doing is getting absolutely just just decimated pulverized yeah pulverized <laughs> absolutely decimated at every it's very tough for your psyche to bust through it that's why i like the fact that there's so few people that that really make good creative decks it's because the process is so harrowing and difficult so kudos to those people again no. not easy to do so for myself going through this process um you need to sort of abandon any kind of stubbornness that yes because yesterday's success is not today's success and you need to continue to understand because your your eight and one streak yesterday it's a fresh meta people change and that deck that you're successful with people may have adapted to and if you're not evolving, you're dying. You're 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 being left out. And those ten flex slots are there to future proof yourself to a degree. A good deck doesn't need, should not have sixty cards of dedicated juice in order for it to to function or have a chance. It needs half of that to work properly. It's like thirty core cards to get you there another 15 or so to support it and another 10 to 15 to to be meta dependent and that's yeah. kind of how it goes so you need to be ready to swallow your pride and say it worked yesterday it doesn't work today so what why isn't it working today you know one of those things like wow everybody's freaking playing Eardin today what the hell's going on well everybody's playing Eardin today because the decks that you were playing were exploiting the fact that people are not playing Eardin when yeah. dwarf meta came back uh a couple months ago i was packing Irden because and everyone's like well just run lacerates it's cheaper or i can run Irden and win the game like it's the same yeah. thing you know there's that flex spot in the 10 plus provision uh space that wins games those are yeah. that's what they're there for they're there for that particular thing because Irden on its own is not gonna not gonna win you a game it's meta dependent and that's why the, those are great cards to have uh in uh, in your deck but being able to detach yourself from your deck and and you know not identifying directly with it it's not you you know the fact that you're making changes isn't uh, a sign of failure it's actually a sign of success that you recognize that it needs tweaking and that you're going to make those tweaks so that's why the deck building process is so important because you need to have that latitude that leeway those margins where you can turn the dials one way or another and adjust it so good deck building means a core idea is not a 60 card idea it's a 30 card idea uh and go like in gwent let's say a good strategy a reliable good deck is not going to take all 25 card spots it's going to take 20 of them and then you'll have no. five that you can play around with uh or or adjust you know it's going to take 18 to 20 
to really function and everything else is is counter meta and that's that's no. how a successful deck can operate i feel like it's even even harder in gwen because there's no sideboard options um so your deck your initial deck and in what you'll be playing with needs to consist of of things that have the possibility to answer multiple things um which i feel like because yeah sometimes you might have that Iridin, but it's just a brick it's not giving you anything and you you run into these situations but i mean sometimes you can still salvage a game with that if your game plan game plan is strong enough but uh sometimes this card just wins you the game on on the spot right or any type of um removal that might you know counter your opponent's play it's just it's just there and it will it will win you the whole thing but you need to have it in your main deck so i feel like in gwent you even need to be playing with um with your deck a lot more in terms of you know checking cards like putting them in taking them out seeing if they work for you um also being patient and testing it thoroughly instead of doing like you know one three games 100 win rate and yeah it doesn't work that way like you need a you need a bigger sample size and magic i feel like it's easier because you have the sideboard and the sideboard is a lot of times based off of mainly what you want to do after game one so you already know what your opponent is playing and what you want to um, bring in in terms of like pure hate for your opponent's uh, yeah. deck and um because yeah your initial deck is just trying to get you um you know down the line in order to get the to get the win and carry out your um you know your your game plan in this sense but i feel like sometimes in some decks you might delay even your you know game plan or your win con by a couple of turns which will still in this case like you will get there but you will fill in you know you will add some cards which let you stabilize the game for example or will let will stop your opponent from doing something or will let you get or will give you actually time for you to build yourself up and yeah it's it's it, magic it's funny because like you said like you just keep mana open um and sometimes it's just a psychological play like do i have the counter spell or i don't i have two blue open right i might yeah. have it right or yeah. i might don't have it right sometimes sometimes people just leave it there and as card game players we like the the risk factor of this so i i i always do this i just play the card and i'm like well does it resolve <laughs> and most of the time it's like well i kept these open for something but a lot of times it's like well you well, you cut the bluff right i was bluffing yeah. i have nothing <laughs> but that's part of it and that's the beauty of it like there's no scarier situation in magic than like you know trying to do something like when your opponent just ha when your opponent keeps blue ma blue mana open you're like oh come on like why 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 all the time that's usually how it goes um but you're yeah you're, you're right it's it's like uh i like the, the the whole aspect of calling them hate cards which is what they are there's hate drafting hate drafting's a thing i hate no. drafted uh, a couple weeks ago actually which was in flesh and blood i was um i was playing ninja i was doing the welcome to wraith draft and mm -hmm. i had both of my flanks uh, on guardian and I opened a pack, and the pack was, it was a great freaking pack. It had uh, Snapdragon Scalers, which is a very high-value piece of equipment to draft, especially for Ninja. It had Red Flick Flack, which is the best defense reaction in, this, in that particular set. And it had Crippling Crush, which is the majestic uh, Guardian 11 attack. Like, it's their bomb. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And I was <laughs> like, do okay, I'm like, number one, I'm probably taking the Snapdragon scalers in any other pack. That's a pack one pick one in my regard, unless there's a bomb in it. But the bomb in this case was Guardian. I was not playing Guardian, I was playing Ninja, and it was already pack three. There's no way I can pivot. And no. then there's red flick flack. Defense reactions in limited in limited are so important and so strong, and that was the strongest one. So I'm like, okay. Take the busted equipment, take the best defense reaction, or take a card I can't play because I because f those two guys on my flanks. Yeah. So I I absolutely hate drafted, and I took the uh, I took the crippling crush, and afterwards, my my whole pool was like ninety nine percent ninja cards, and I and two hate drafts. <laughs> one was yeah. against guardian, and one was against you warrior. You have to in draft. You sometimes have to hate draft because you don't you you take a card because you don't want your opponent having that card, even if it doesn't fit in what you're building. Like you might have your colors if it's magic, you might have your colors already set, or you you know you you know what you, what you want to do might be too late. But you're like hell no, no one is getting this card because if that person gets it. We're all gonna be screwed. Basically, <laughs> screw them. That was it. And uh, so, yeah, hate cards are important in the deck building process, and that's what we talk about. But those are all again those uh, those take a, a deep understanding of the meta. So, you know, this also ties into things about net decking and why you know if net decking was such a crime, I think that net decking would be a lot more nasty if the players who net deck were successful. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to properly you know convey this, but. And taking a strong deck does not mean does not guarantee success. It's like you know, sure, jump in a Ferrari, and you know you you might beat me beat me in a race on a straightaway, but you know, give me uh, give me a Honda Accord and and a, and, dri and driving skills, and I'll probably beat you in on a course in a in a in a Honda yeah. Accord than an an, an an inexperienced person in a Ferrari. Will they win? In a Ferrari, there's a good chance because the 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 engine is built built better, the machine is built better. But without the experience, it's it's almost, you know, it's it's almost a fifty fifty that they'll even be yeah. successful. A good, a good. Now put that good pilot in the good machine, and it's that's when it's really you know. But that's like this win win. <laughs> that's win win. So um, you know, that's why it's important. Meta meta understanding is as as integral to deck building as it is yeah, as putting certain cards in the deck but you know the important thing again to sort of loop this back to be the beginning is novice deck builders need to need to have a self-sustaining strategy that is not dependent on what your opponent is playing engine pieces symbiosis style decks uh in gwent um you know mono red decks which are very you know you just point click and and go pew pew in hearthstone um you know uh mage decks i guess or or mech yeah. mage right now and and stuff like that Pi like uh, aggro pirate lists uh those are very self-sustaining in magic yeah we talked about creature creature related lists so that's kind of how how that goes um you know that's that's the the basics is you need to have a win condition that relies on your own agency versus what your opponent is doing and then that's then you, you move on from there so I mean, if I were to give like a laundry list here, a little list of, of tips, like dot points, um, for, build, a, build a list that is self-sustaining, leave room for counter, uh, counter play and, and mm -hmm. you know, disruption for your opponent, understand the meta and, and leave, check your ego at the door. 
yesterday's success is not today's success. You need to constantly yeah. be working and, and understanding. Success takes hard work. It takes dedication. And there's a reason why the players who are always on top of the ladder every season are there. It's because they're constantly understanding and 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 keeping their their you know toe in the in the in the in the river as it were to see how which way the the water is flowing, so they know which way to paddle and how to change their stuff. And that's those are key elements to successful deck building for sure. Yeah, I sometimes also feel like um, one thing to add here is like you need to be. Always double checking and also trying. I feel like you always need to be tweaking stuff in, in the deck that you're playing. You might be set on a deck that you love and you've been playing for, I don't know, a long time. And I, and I feel like whenever I feel comfortable with the deck and I'm playing it and I feel like everything that I could have done with it is is done, there is something always to do. And, and I feel like once I start playing around with it a little bit and changing stuff, that's where I get the most success because A... You're testing new things, and some of them might be really cool that you haven't thought about or someone else hasn't thought about. The second thing is the element of surprise. Uh, I feel like with with now us having you know access to so many decks online and play rates and win rates for for certain like specific cards when it, especially when it comes to magic, like we have MTG Goldfish, which has pretty much how what's the percentage of people bringing this deck to any online thing and what's the win rate like you can anticipate the win rates and stuff like that based on the popularity of the deck and all that that we have access to all this that a lot of people when they're playing the game they're just net decking straight away and they're not doing anything to the deck so whenever you're playing against this you're like okay i, I can see what the what the cards that are going to be played and the next couple turns are going to be so you can kind of anticipate their game plan, which lets you tweak your game plan going against it. And, you know, it, and when you bring something that they don't expect, they're like, what the hell is this card? I haven't seen this in X amount of time or I haven't seen this in this deck. Like, you surprised me with this. And you get that after matches. If you're talking to someone, if they're in person, you're like, what the hell? Like, I wasn't expecting that. And that is kind of something that will let you give you the 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 little edge even if you're playing a deck which like the majority of the cards 90% of the cards might be the same stuff that other people are running but let's let's say the 10% or sometimes even the 5% are just things that you draw into and people are like what mm -hmm. this in this deck doesn't make sense and then maybe sometimes you discover something that you know people will later on see and bring to their to this deck and use it and you'll be like yeah that was my idea yeah no uh, absolutely uh my favorite parts about playing in tournaments sometimes is when you do the whole, it happens to me and I do it to people too sometimes. Again, when I'm in a flesh and blood tournament and the people that I test with, you know, they, they're like, hey, we included a pretty spicy tech. And it's like, all right, let's figure it out. And then you, you, you play test. And then when the first time you bring it to a tournament, you jam that card down. One of them is like a card called Expose the Elements, which targets your opponent's equipment. Um and it like it either destroys it or makes it makes it useless or whatever and like the first time you bust out something like that people are like let me read this card and like they do the whole like you play it and i'm like all right uh i'll play expose the element ele elements i'll fuse it with earth and ice so i'll put a counter on this uh, equipment and then destroy it uh and then they're like let me see that wait, they wait, read wait. it and i'm like yeah yeah and then they're like what the hell and it's like yeah, and you you hit them with one of those. Those are the best when when and that is that I find often had times happens much more frequently in limited because 
sometimes you're forced to play these weird janky fringe cards but yeah. in constructed you know you you jam a card that people haven't seen in a long time or or are not familiar with or something along those lines you know like um for instance i think it's like dire bear in um in gwent the one that doesn't allow you to boost on on a particular on the opposite row you know like that's a card that is very very niche it's very yeah. very but man when that comes down you're like what the hell and like why aren't my dudes boosting and you're like oh because of this it's like wow that see that is a meta call that is an, yeah. a brilliant play if if it's a very greedy engine based deck then you drop a dire bear a dire bear to just block like Back in the day when there used to be like Tamarian Drummer next to a Tritum Infantry next to like an Ana next to a, uh, you know, you drop one of those bad boys, shuts all that nonsense down. It's, it's, that is the, those are the moments that I love. And that's the kind of reward you get when you're, when you're very in tune with the meta and your deck building takes into account meta yeah. and thus putting in proper, uh, proper tech cards. And that yeah. Dire Bear to me is a tech card. A card like Sucrus is not a tech card. I think a card like Sucrus is more of a support card because it supports a, a fringe strategy. But Dire Bear is purely counter. It's purely it's yeah. like it's purely counter magic in that sense. It's just hate. It's hate. <laughs> no, we well, I say we love hate. We don't love hate. We we love hate strategies. <laughs> I yeah. don't know how to say I that. I mean I mean everybody likes that feeling you know when they're playing against someone where you see you also see it in on digital clients where your opponent that is playing fast he or she just pauses for a oh, second yeah. after a play you're like yeah you didn't see that coming did you or, or you you play a card and you see that the card gets highlighted no they're oh they're, yes that yeah, they're reading it they're mouse scrolling over it to read it that's the equivalent of like you know when you play something and then they just like can i read that they're like they're doing one of these, like, oh, okay, okay. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's like, I it's that, it's, it's that, oh, 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 oh yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no. It says, uh, basically translates to, uh, you're effed, uh, is what yeah. it translates to. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw this, I saw your deck coming, and my sideboard accounted for that. The, like, that's what's so beautiful about, we can do, a, we should, we should do an episode about sideboarding, because I think that that is a, oh, yeah. oh, that is a great episode to do. All right, we're going to save that conversation about sideboarding, because, oh, sideboarding is an art form, man. It is like, it's like jazz. It's, it, yeah. it, it doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to do, it, 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 isolated on its own, it is just a bunch of noises that do yeah. not coalesce. But in the grander scheme, you got to read between the lines. It fits in. And man, yeah. is it beautiful. It's sometimes crazy what goes into sideboards, like what people bring to sideboards. Like when you when you look at the cards, you're like, none of these, like all of these are from like a, like a different town and city or from a different continent. They're like, how are, how are they supposed to work together? But then when you swap them in and add them to, the, to your deck. And I also feel like that the art of sideboarding, knowing what to take out and what to put in is also very important because I feel like a lot of players make a mistake here that they take out too many good stuff, like too much good stuff and put in too much, let's say, tech. And then their game plan is kind of in shambles and their win condition is kind of, you know, losing like its strength because of that. And sometimes you 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 can kind of, you need to like... Once you know your deck like well enough after you played it a lot, and I mean really a lot, you're at a point where you know which cards are 
the ones that are like musts that you always need to have them and which cards are your flex slots. So they're flexible enough to be in your deck, but they're also flexible enough to be moving out of your deck for some other stuff just to come in. So sideboarding, yeah, I agree, is like, it's a whole other topic by its own. I'm all for it. We can, uh, we can dig into that one next time. I think we got to, we got a hefty mailbag this week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, our, our sponsor this week is the wonderful city of Gdansk. Yes. And Blue Jeans, which I didn't go to because it's 4.5 kilometers you away from the hotel. <laughs> you were right there. You were yes. right there. No, but I was like, I'm so tired. And I already put my bike in the, in the hotel room. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I want to come visit. I'm going to come visit you. It's going to happen it. this summer. We're going we're gonna to go to Gdansk. We are going to go to Gdansk. It's Train gonna be is cheap as dirt to get there. Perfect. So. Hopefully it doesn't look like that too. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it, was, it was a nice comfy ride, to be honest, to, to go back. Although I, I, I like the, you know, the bike length there. <laughs> it's well, just 11, 11 versus three hours. It's almost the same thing, right? Pardon me. Uh, okay, I'm gonna. Get, <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know what planet you're on where time is like that, but it's all good. That's like an yeah. episode. That's a, a interstellar kind of thing. Yeah. All right, mailbag time. We'll be back with the mailbag. All right, welcome back to the mailback where we answer your questions from reddit and twitter and this time we have a couple of them starting off with tgg gwent i will pick a couple from these because oh. there are questions like where is dagon and stuff like that yeah, hold yes, on. Like. i forgot <laughs> to mention we forgot to mention this actually this the topic of today's episode was actually uh, suggested by alias v who is a, a first of all alias v is uh going to be having a child soon um there's going to be, I don't know, I forgot what month specifically, but she's well on her way. And uh, so I'm very excited for that because even though she has not said anything or promised anything. Uncle Flake! Well, there's obviously <laughs> an Uncle Flake situation. That is, uh, ah, come on. Uh, that's that's just who I am. But um, I believe that she, her intent is to name the child Matthew, whether, you know, regardless Ooh, of sex or gender. Nice. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I, in fact, it, it's completely not true because i just made it up but the more <laughs> the more i say it the more it becomes reality because as george costanza said it's not a lie if you believe it so that's exactly. the strategy i'm going sorry that's all i wanted to plus, just toss plus in if you if you if you talk about something it kind of gets in like subliminal or something you call it or, yeah. or maybe that's not that yeah. i don't know if that's called the mandela effect or something like that yeah it gets into your mind although you're not fully aware of it but someone repeating it and then that's that's also how marketing works so uh, whenever you hear something multiple times then like a commercial you will remember <laughs> it and then when you go to the store you're more incentivized to get that product. Anyway, <laughs> shout out to Alias because yeah. she's awesome. One of our <laughs> listeners is going to be in nice and be like, I should go to Blue Jeans. Why do I want to go to Blue Jeans? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, that's how we go. Fleur's a 15, remember. <laughs> and say that Mateo sent you from Mateo's Canada. Mateo's from Canada. Yeah, sent you. Yeah. 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 But ask for the manager. Don't, don't, don't talk to the. No, you know. They don't know. Ask for yeah. uh, Zbyshek. Zbyshek is the owner. <laughs> Zbyshek. So. Yeah. Damn, I should have known that. Okay. But I didn't go. It doesn't matter. Okay. Questions. So TGG Gwent, a lot of questions. I will skip the ones that are like, where is Dagon? Um, Premium somewhere. tokens when? Oh, they're, hey, they're hiring art people at CDPR. So go apply, get the job, 
and then go make the premium tokens and stop that's crying. That's animation team. That's not art team. That you make lateral move to the animation team. You got to get in somewhere. This is your way yeah. in. If we have animation open, that means premium tokens are closer than, than, than you think. So Dagon, let's skip that. When do you plan to add a new faction? Not this year for sure. Um, question about devotion, when there's going to be more devotion-related stuff. I think Jean covered that in the previous developer video, so check that out. Um, balance, I'm not interested in. Other ways to spend scraps. Right now, we only did the journey for scraps things. This this is something that we're testing, but we're thinking about other things to do. And I think the, 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 the most important question out of all of these was if we'll ever introduce any type of punishment for players who, instead of pressing surrender when they know, or forfeit when they know that they're not going to win, they pull the internet cable cord ah. or they simply alt F4 out of the game. Yes, so, the, uh, I call that the uh, mill win condition, which is uh, yeah. yeeting your computer off a balcony after uh, <laughs> a, a player with two brain cells to rub together figure out how to beat you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, This is a fascinating one because this is a situation, and I say this when I used to stream, I used to say this all the time, that I have never played a, a card game in my life with more you know, uh, cowardly disconnections than Gwent. And that's not a, a that's not an indictment on the Gwent community. It's an indictment on the people who can't just take a loss and hit the forfeit button. And I get it. People's connections um, are not always reliable. I, I mean, we've seen it, uh, you know, at, at these online tournaments that like Gwent opens online. When you're connecting from all over the world, it's quite, you know, it, it sometimes takes just one unstable element to the connection that can kind of throw things around usually it's stable but i mean it's it's when there's one card left and you're beating your opponent and suddenly they lose connection like let's get real like that's basically just them having that kind of like cowardly move of just shutting down the game and disconnecting on purpose the alt f4ing is like one thing but you could just escape enter and take the the forfeit and save people's time. The way that I think the the reason I think that people do this is they I think it's because they think they're sticking it to the person uh, from the uh, from the aspect of well now you got to sit through the disconnection screen for twenty seconds and that's my fu to you. Okay, you have to reboot your whole computer after you know pulling the plug on it and yeah. like are, are you really are you really who, who is it you really worth it? Are you, yeah. is it really worth it? Right. I, I think that like it's hard to in implement any kind of punishment to somebody who disconnects because in that case there's a lot of innocent people who do legitimately disconnect that the punishment for them is that they are getting a loss that they otherwise would not have perhaps had that they're they're they weren't disconnecting on purpose to prove a point they were they disconnected in a game that maybe they were winning or maybe they were losing and and punishing that the punishment in that regard is already the fact that they're taking the loss so yeah. it's hard to uh punish innocent people for the crimes of you know the the cowardly few who are are you know too too you know stubborn to just hit the escape button that they think that it's less it's less of a sting if their connection goes out which i find absolutely hilarious so my my reply to that is i give them a gg so when they do reconnect to the game they get the notification that i donated 7 or 9 gold to them getting a better deck and uh it's a nice reminder that hey i beat you last game and you wussed out and uh alta remember forward. about it yeah, yeah yeah here you go here's a nice little pat on the back remember me yeah i beat you you wuss 
Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of that. Please remember that the reconnecting feature is there because some players have a worse connection or for example they're commuting somewhere and uh you know connection drops for a little bit and then the game tries to reconnect and it tries a couple times before it is able to reconnect again and that player is able to play. Um so that is kind of like a fail safe so you don't lose um you know your progress pretty much when you're playing. Um but I feel like this is something that I've seen in, in, in other card games that I played. Like even in Magic Arena, I've even had it, I don't know, yesterday um, I was playing, I was obliterating my opponent. I was playing this, I'm playing with this uh, new Rakdos artifacts deck in standard in Arena, uh, which is just making artifacts, sacrificing artifacts and, and doing stuff off of that. Um, and it's a very controlly deck with a crazy combo win condition and which is just fun to play is it cauldron and, familiar um no it's it's more in in a sense that you have this anvil uh, which i don't remember its name but it's like whenever you sacrifice an artifact it deals one damage in, to your opponent and you gain one life and um whenever you also sacrifice an artifact it also creates a one one token that is an artifact so you're able to you know, ping it almost every every turn, and then like when you when you have also a lot of artifacts, you have like some like this vampire, which kind of if you have a lot of blood tokens, gives like minus x minus x to your opponent's creature, twice the amount of um, blood tokens that you have, for example. So it's like it's very controlly, but you're 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 milling down your opponent's life very very slow. Yeah. Chip damage. Uh, but yeah, but you also have like Obnixilis, uh, which is a cool planeswalker from from New Capenna, which I really enjoy um, because it lets you play two copies of the planeswalker if you sacrifice a creature and you have like these small creatures and also the bigger ones. And then it, it creates a copy of the same Planeswalker with a similar... So I play this pretty much. I play this Planeswalker without going into all the details. And my opponent just disappeared. And I had to wait for... And there you need to wait for the rope to go down a couple times. Like finish. And once uh, your opponent, I think, doesn't do any action twice when the rope goes, it just autom automatically gives you the win. So you still need to wait. And there is no type of punishment because sometimes it's just a matter of I don't know I'm 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 guilty of this but I play my card and then I'm like oh I don't know I forgot to take out my t-shirt from the laundry or from or like my biking stuff from from <laughs> from the washing machine I just jump next you know next room take it all out come back and I still have enough rope to kind of go back to playing so or I don't know, you're cooking something and you're like, oh man, I left something on the stove. You need to <laughs> go and take care of that. And there's not going to be like no punishment. There should be like a camera, like, you know, <laughs> looking at you all the time. If you move your head away, then, you know, the yeah. camera pretty much out of forfeit. You know how many times I've played yeah. Apex Legends and I've tried to time time the oven with a frozen pizza with like the matches? I'm like, ah, I should be done this match by now. And then suddenly like the the tie, like the oven's beeping and I'm in the middle of like a fight and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna burn my house down. And like my buddy's like, where do you go? And I'm just in a corner crouching as I'm ripping a pizza out of the oven so that my apartment doesn't burn down. There's like yeah. grenades flying over my head. I come back, both my freaking teammates are like knocked to the ground. I'm like, I'm back, what happened? They're like, you asshole. And I'm starting to res everybody and trying to figure stuff out. I'm like, 
poor timing on those, so I could totally yeah. relate. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's just life getting in the way, right? Yeah, and I mean priorities. And again, I'm not a professional, so screw them. No. The amount of times they've left me high and dry. Screw them. Screw them. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. All right. So T- yeah, TGG Gwent covered all of the uh, the normal drums that are beaten to death by now. So we're not doing. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for the uh, for the question, though. That's uh, we do appreciate them big time. Uh, there's a lot of actually exactly. cool ones that that came in this week. So, all right, so we've got a question from Zayad Tarek, aka at Zayad Neo. Always good for a good question. So thank you so much. You always submit some great stuff. The question here, Mister Bursha, is after having finished almost all contracts, now I'm starting to aim for the top 500 to 200 contracts. Any general tips to help in climbing, regardless of the meta? Now, I can give you tips, and a lot of these are going to allude back to what we talked about in terms of proper deck building, but excluding meta-analysis out of this, that's basically the majority of it, Zayad, is that if you, you need to have a finger on the pulse of what the meta is in order to attain those higher ranks, top 500 is an ex- exceptionally difficult thing to attain because um, it's not like pro rank where there's no limit, there's no cap. Everybody who wants to and can get there will get there but top 500 is an exclusive club top 200 even more so general tips i would say i mean you can go from rank 25 to 15 purely off the merits of a good deck you need like five good cards that you could typically get there from 15 to 5 you need mastery of your deck you don't necessarily need mastery of others from 5 to pro i think is more so about a couple tech cards and understanding the meta but everything beyond that is all meta analysis. So discounting yeah. meta as in terms of, of tips, I have to say that that is probably one of the most important things that you need to understand is how to pair up what you're going to be facing, understanding their win conditions and what they need to do, and then fixing your four, like three to five flex slots in your deck to counteract those. Having the the resets the purifications you need the graveyard hate that you potentially need the extra removal spells to get rid of clutch engine pieces if you do not have that if you do not have a, a firm grip of what your opponent's trying to do then you you will not um you will not use your own cards in the most effective way patience is a virtue in terms of certain cards and i've i've said this when i've played or or helped coach other players the first thing that they want to do when they see a big card is to snap off a heat wave. For instance, no. you know, you win round one, you're in round two, they drop a scenario, you have a heat wave in hand. Are you are you heat waving the scenario? I typically say no, because this is a round that you don't need to win anyways. So why would you give up a good card to yeah, you can lose it you can use at the end for something better? Exactly. Right? So that's my that would be my tip. Yeah, for sure. I, I I totally agree with you. Like the higher you go, the the more you need to know about the um, the the meta. Also, like ge- general tips when it comes to climbing, I feel like um, if you feel that you are on a losing streak and you feel like you're in a rut, you should just take a break. Take a break. Come back when you, once you're fresh. Eat something. Drink something. Don't get into this um, mentality that you need to be grinding like crazy um especially when when you're stuck in a rut and we all get stuck so go back uh come back stronger like don't don't be pushing yourself all the time but yeah also like knowing knowing the meta i think also the things that we talked about today is kind of you know playing and changing things 
uh, within your deck in order to to fit where you are will kind of pretty much you know give you give you the win. And the higher you are, like Flake said, above anything above rank five, I think that's when the you know the the curve goes way way up and it gets a lot harder to um to use just you, you know your one strategy um and and try to win like try to you know f play with a little bit of flex slots change some things with things within the deck and see how that goes from there um if you're on a losing streak also don't worry about it just you know take a break come back and play yeah. more and and you have to also understand that attaining 500 excuse me, uh, att attaining top 500 is something that a lot of people are striving for. So there's everybody's out there trying to, you know, fight for the same real estate. So you have to be prepared to to lose. And sometimes it's it's part of, you might not be prepared today, but the the journey of fighting for it, um, you know, my my best finish ever was 89th on the ladder. Uh, and I, I busted my ass off. I busted my ass off. So I think I had like 600 games that season. I was playing like six hours a day, just absolutely dedicated to it. On the grind. On the grind. And for me, it was, I had the opportunity to do it because, it, you know, streaming was part of what I did. Not everyone has that opportunity. So dedication, understanding of what it takes, and understanding also that you may not succeed on the first time, but you'll at least understand what it takes and how to adjust what you need to do. Um, because it's not you can't play four or five games a day and get there. I'm sorry, that's just not the reality of it. You have to dedicate yourself to the fact that it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, and it's not going to be easy. So going through those trials and tribulations is is a good is a good thing because it sort of thickens your skin. It it creates like this this armor for you so that the next time you want to step into that, you get to pro rank the next season and you're like, "All right, I know what it takes now. I know that I'm not going to see the same two decks or three decks that I saw from rank five to zero or three to zero. I'm going to see a lot more. So I have to be prepared. I have to expand my horizons. I have to pay more attention to what the hell is going on because that one deck that you see, you know, how many games, Pavel, have you played where they play one, like the first land they play, you know exactly what the deck is. And <laughs> it's it, those are kinds of situations that you're going to come across where that one deck that you were not familiar with, if you're not paying attention and you let it beat you, the next time you play it, eight or nine, ten games down the road, where you're like, wow, here it is again. How did I lose that game? I wasn't paying attention. So that's that's part of it. Just And when Pavel says taking a break, part of the taking a break is not just to reset your mind, but it also allows for the cycle of the meta to start shifting as well. If you're taking, no. If you take the rest of the day off, you come back 12 hours later, the meta may have changed. It may no longer be a heavy control meta. It may more, be more of a hybrid. And if it's more of a hybrid, then you as a control player or an aggro player might have a little bit more of an advantage. Uh, you know, so we'll see, we'll see how that kind of goes. But yeah, that, that, those would be that are our tips, I guess. Yeah, things change on the fly, and it's good that you mentioned that. Um, yeah, you might be coming back a little bit later, and there's something that I also talked about, like different players play uh, different decks at different times of the day, and you're also able to figure that out more or less, especially when you're playing Gwent, um, what's being played when, and you can also kind of play around this a little bit more. So yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, just you know, take take it easy. Um, and and I feel like don't try to like burn yourself out trying to 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 go, you know, crazy and saying like I need to do it this month specifically. Like there's there's no problem of taking a little bit more time to get that done.
All right. Next up, okay. hit it. Hello there. This is by Australior. Australia, like Australia, Australia. I don't know, something like that. Um, hello there. Hope you're doing fine. Got a very specific question. How do you guys add so much incredible lore without betraying the universe depicted in the books? Have uh, do you have a team fully dedicated to it? And are there um, description and the cards written by the same guys who wrote the story notes for reward trees? Excuse my bad English, French here. Well, that's pretty good English. No, that was excellent. Um, no, first yeah. of all, uh, merci beaucoup pour soumettre votre question. Uh, on va faire le, show le, off. le meilleur possible. À, à, show, à... show off. <laughs> I'm not showing off. The, the dude speaks French, so we're going to help Why no French? Look at me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we have a dedicated team that is responsible for lore consistency when it comes to everything um, happening in Gwent, happening in Witcher, happening in Cyberpunk. Like everybody here is, mm, and, and this dedicated team is responsible for these things. There are people in the CDPR studio who have such extensive knowledge of um, the universe that they can specifically by dates and like 12 something this and this happen and redania something something and they're like they, they tell you like very very specific things that i didn't even know that the lore was this like broad but it's like pretty much you like learning history of the witcher universe so they have like very extensive knowledge and you need to bear in mind that what was in the books and what is in the games, like we took our own spin here when it comes to what we're doing with the universe. And it's just a matter of keeping things very consistent of what we did, what was in the books, and how we kind of maneuver in between these things, not to do anything that is not too lore inaccurate. Of course, there are some things which are different from the books that are kind of our depiction of, of how we see the Witcher universe and stuff like that. But we try to be like fully consistent here and we have a dedicated team that, you know, pretty much just is looking at these things. So yeah, and it comes to everything from, from art as to uh, descriptions that are with cards and also the story um, that it pretty much, you know, doesn't, doesn't go too crazy and, and far off. Of course, there's a lot of lore police within uh, the Witcher slash Gwen community, which is also keeping tabs on us and saying like, oh, this is kind of, you know, on the verge of being impossible or on the verge of, you know, not being super accurate or stuff like that. I remember we had a community ma uh, meeting uh, a couple of years ago where there were people from the Witcher 3 community and they um, came to our art director saying that Eridan's eye color was not the, the one matching with, with the books because somewhere in the books it said that he had blue or green and we either had blue or green. It was one of these colors. And the art director just simply, he's like, why did you guys do it? And he's like, oh, because this eye color looked better and suited us better. It was like, end of story. End of and the story. guy was like, what? Well, what? But it's not accurate with the lore. <laughs> I, have, I have to say, like, there's a, there's a lot of stories that are... Uh, you know the the source material versus the the whatever is produced. There are people who are really care about it, and and I mean like let's be real. I'm I am definitely one of them. Not that I'm like, uh, there's a scene from The Simpsons where 
the the episode from the simpsons where homer becomes poochie the dog an extra character on itchy and scratchy they do like a panel like a fan panel and one of the fans stands up and it's one of the nerdy guys and he's like uh in episode uh 37 of uh such season um when uh <laughs> when when Itchy uh, drops Scratchy in a barrel of, uh, of acid and then proceeds to play his skeleton as a xylophone, he hits the same part of the ribcage twice, uh, producing two completely different sounds. Now, are we supposed to believe that this is some sort of <laughs> magic xylophone? I hope someone got fired for that. And then Homer's like, why don't you shut the hell up? <laughs> it's like, it was basically that. Now, you have to find a, yeah. a fine balance between being true to the lore to the degree where it's actually important, like, for example, you know, having, uh, having, you know, Chewbacca be from, an, like, if Chewbacca was suddenly from another planet than Kashyyyk in, you know, in one of the movies, that's what they drop versus him in the, in the, in, you know, lore friendly, which is he's from the planet of Kashyyyk. If they make that yeah. change, that's a little bit more impactful. Eye color and such. I mean, unless it's integral to a certain plot point, like that to me is is a little bit different. But I always I always appreciate it when people are very passionate about the source material to the degree where they want, you know, they like the details. And and, and some of the best stories I've ever heard were of people who are involved in the production of stuff that were very passionate about the the source material and and paid attention to those small details. For example. Um, in Lord of the Rings, when Frodo wakes up in Rivendell in the bed and um, Sam goes to see him, you see Sam like gra like hold Frodo's hand. And part of that is because um, Ian McKellen, who is like a fan of the work and read the, the story, said in the book, he ho it says that Sam, Sam ho grabs Frodo's hand and holds it tightly or whatever. And Ian McKellen tells... Uh, uh, tells the actor, my God, I forgot his name. Samwise Gamgee. Oh my God, what's his name? I know, I know the guy. Uh, oh, this is gonna bother me. Uh, either way, that uh, is uh, Sean, Sean Astin. 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 Sean, yeah. Sean Astin. He tells Sean Astin to to do that in the scene because he says fans will be looking for that. You know, like that. That's that's an important and like that. That's a, that's a nice little tidbit. Eye color. I mean. It's tough because if it's very, if it's integral to plotline or storyline or whatever, but these are kinds of details that I feel are, are okay to be different, but at the same time, you know. Oh, I, these I, are on L -L elves. They need to have specific eye color. No, well, <laughs> no, it's also, it's also, it's also for people who are, you know, who are listening, watching and, and stuff like that. Like, and, and, it, and it comes not only to Gwen, but everything in life is like there, there is being passionate and there's being obsessed about things. Like, let's not get into like obsession that it all needs to be this way because it cannot be in any other way because the other way is not good. Although I'm very salty for to to Disney for changing the name of Boba Fett's ship from Slave One oh, to Fire on. Spray. Oh, um, is, for, is, for well, because Slave is just a bad word, I know. But I mean, that's the name of the ship. Like, don't change these things. Don't pull these things on me. This is <laughs> this is lore. This is don't don't change this. <laughs> I I like how Boba Fett, who essentially did a lot of work on Tatooine, Tatooine being a planet that has rampant amounts of slavery on it. Yes. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker was a slave. 
Yes. <laughs> they mention that he was a slave. Meanwhile, a bounty hunter whose job it is to go out and like viciously capture and freeze people in carbonate for transport and, and sold to whoever the bounties are out on these people for has a ship. Now, fire spray is the classification of the it ship. It is a class, yeah. Yeah. But the name of the ship was the Slave One. And they, they axed that. And in my opinion, that is such a, a wuss-ass cop-out because there is so much absolute amounts of bullshittery and slavery that goes on on Tatooine and terrible yeah. things and murder and drug use. And, but and that's not being talked about, right? And, and <laughs> crime and, and ramp and the places run by the Hut Crime Syndicate. Like, uh, we can't call the ship the Slave One because, like, that, you know, someone, someone's going to buy a Lego and be upset. You know, like literally yeah. they changed the name to sell to sell merchandise. And that is yeah. an absolute terrible, terrible thing. But all right. Made me mad. Made me mad. Yeah. But yeah, let's let, let's not go too all crazy right. about it. <laughs> Next question from Jack Flag on Reddit asking CDPR business ops question this time. Are the journeys considered as successful uh, as a successful revenue stream overall? Something you see as viable or even optimal for future offerings. Uh, your thoughts on, as well on this flake. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on the current state of battle season passes in the general game marketplace? Too many offerings? Are they a healthy form of content development? Do they provide value? I'm interested in how they are viewed internally. I think this is an excellent question, Jack Flag, uh, because I think between Pavel and I, we probably have extensive amounts of, of the old-fashioned grind of uh, free-to-play grind versus, uh, you know... Um, Pay to win grind, and now the introduction of in the past couple of years of of battle passes as as places for value. So I'll let you you start asking uh, or answering the part about the journeys. Mm -hmm. So journeys, yes, they are considered a very successful revenue stream, and I mean very. Um, and I fully agree that for the future, of course, we're already working on uh, new journeys because they they're. I mean. I like what they bring as in terms of um, a lot of new vanities attached to new characters and for you a having the ability to customize your character how you want to with these offerings. And totally 10 out of 10, this is something that I would recommend to everybody getting because it's just, it's just fun to progress. It's another progression system based to the normal one that you have and it just gives you a lot more resources. And thanks to all this and the way that it functions, I feel like it's been something that for sure like is, is here to stay with Gwent. No, and so that's not part of the question. I, I like the, the journeys, honestly. I think that these journeys are some of the best journeys. And I know people have put out um, value, you know, evaluations of what they are. I know Christo used to do videos of them, very good videos um, about the values of the journeys and mm -hmm. um from what I remember, I mean, even just in private discussions, the the value was always significant, and I thought that they were definitely great. Not to mention, especially there there were some where you, the cards that you were scoring from completing them were exquisite, and you're getting the amount of keys that you're getting. The value was mm -hmm. way over the top. If you're just paying, you know, ten bucks American or fifteen bucks Canadian or whatever it is to to pick up one of the journeys, I always told people, I said, listen, it, it doesn't take a lot to complete it. If you play three or four matches a day, you're going to complete that journey no problem. If, yeah. Especially if you're focused on the quest aspect of it and, and creating and finishing those like those quests. 
to get the, you know, but like uh, it takes like three matches a, a day to really knock out these quests and, and get your money's worth. I think that um, journeys and battle passes in general, like to sort of switch over to the other part of the question, I think that they are very, very good for the game market. I am very much a fan of the fact that right now the monetization of games has switched from buying a physical copy of a game or buying the game itself and then playing it and waiting for new content to come out. I like the fact that games like Halo Infinite, games like uh, Overwatch, games like... Um, Sorry, um, Apex Legends, they're all free. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay a no. dime to these games. Um, Halo Infinite, I've had, you know, hundreds of hours of fun playing that. Apex Legends, same thing. I bought the Apex Legends Battle Pass, and the reason, and here's why I think that, why I am okay with Battle Passes. Because if you're squeezing out more bang for your buck on them, that's a good thing. And why I think Apex Legends Battle Passes is one of the best is because if you buy it once and you complete it, it pays for itself. You get enough in-game credit, uh, credits and tokens that I think it, co it costs something like 1,000 credits, but if you complete it, you earn 1,200 credits. So you're, yeah. you can buy it and bank 200 and continue it that way. So I bought it once, five or six seasons ago, and I've just been riding that train. So you can, mm -hmm. at, the term is going infinite, like which is usually a draft, uh, a, a draft um, uh, term, but there are also battle passes. For instance, the journey in Hearthstone, I would never touch with a 10-foot pole because the economy in general is incredibly predatory and terrible. Uh, magic, same thing. I don't find there's too much value in it. There's too um, much... Well, there, I find that in my opinion... I, 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 buy, I buy every season I buy the Mastery. Um... Uh... To get the mastery tree, um, when you're playing the game, I know it's maybe not the best, but I feel like, uh, I, I don't remember the value. I think it's nineteen ninety nine. I think it's tw almost twenty twenty bucks for that one. I think you're able to get, you know, a lot of additional boosters. And even if even even if you're not getting good stuff in those boosters, you're opening boosters, which lets you, which later lets you craft more, um, rares and mythics. So I still go for it. Um, and I don't really care about the mastery tree and getting the little orbs because you only get like cosmetics, cards, cosmetics, which I don't really care about. Um, I only buy cosmetics if they're on like a super sale that you can use your coins or you can use like leftover gems to, to spend on those. But for the for the mastery, I feel like it's good because you're also able to accumulate additional gems from the mastery, which lets you later on buy the next mastery for less or for even for free so i totally i i, I do it and i do it in magic but it, it requires you to really really play a lot and i mean a lot you need to be pretty much grinding the game yeah and that's something that's not exactly easy and i agree with you if um the the battle pass is something that gives you some cool vanities and resources and doesn't give you too much of an edge on top of anyone else if it doesn't influence gameplay in any way to a certain extent i am totally fine with it if it's a battle pass that is either supposed to be there to have you spend money and you're not really getting a lot from it. I feel like it's just like a pyramid scheme type of scam that's, yeah. uh, you know, they're just trying to pull money out of you. So for those, I try to avoid totally. But if I see that I am able to actually get something out of these, I, I go for them. And of course, in Gwent, we're, we're trying to be very generous. I think it is always something that we had as CDPR as a company. Whenever we had any types of like 
boxed edition of The Witcher or any of the um, expansions, we would always give like soundtracks, we would like add a, a lot of additional content. So if you actually purchase something, you were feeling like you got your money's uh, value out of what you got instead of just, you know, getting a box with instructions and no like personal feel touch or anything else to it. So um, this is something that we've carried on throughout the years and also added to Gwent. Uh, to some extent, I almost think to our detriment uh, at some point because we've been sometimes too generous when it comes to Gwent's economy and and then kind of the, the the providings that we had there. But I mean, you live and you learn. Yeah. No. Um, but doesn't mean that we'll be you know taking stuff away and 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 not having stuff that gives players a lot of cool stuff, but also enhances the gameplay experience because you're progressing something new, which always feels nice and rewarding. And um, yeah, journeys are here to stay. Uh, and I and that's a good thing, honestly. I'm I'm such a fan of the shift from the monetization structure of, of what games are, because like the amount of times I've bought a game, and I'd be like, all right, and then they it's either not supported six months later, you know, like they just stopped because it was it was a failure, or the game ended up sucking. Like the fact yeah. that I play Halo Infinite, and I'm like, God, like this is OP or this needs balancing or, or, you know, there's not enough maps or they haven't, in, they haven't introduced like standard casual slayer or whatever. So what do I do? I just put it on the shelf and I'm like, I'll come back in two months to see if they've, they've fixed things or whatever. And I don't feel bad because I haven't paid a dime to it. But if it's something that you play and you're like, wow, this is awesome. Then you're, you feel a lot better about dropping like 15 to $20 on a battle pass because you're enjoying the game and you're enhancing that experience by unlocking a lot of things. Now it's different with a shooter game, like an FPS, like, apex or whatever because the the stuff that you get is all cosmetic there's not an ounce of it that is win more or or pay to win in these games card games are different because you might be unlocking more cards or content but that's just value that you can get it's not like you're getting an advantage that other people can't get by using their in-game resources themselves so i love this new model of how games are monetized um and i, I i'm it, it, I think, in my opinion, what it does is it, it puts the onus on the game company to create a better product to entice people to continue playing and then spending money on journeys and whatever. So I'm a huge fan oh. of it, Jack Flag. By Razer Ita, or Razer Italy. I don't know, maybe that's the one. Um, this is going to sound strange, but why aren't there more cosmetics to purchase from the shop? Now more than ever, considering veteran players already have older journeys. Have you considered additional skins for existing characters or music packs? I'm definitely not the only one willing to support the game, but there isn't really any way to do it. Love this question. And, yeah. and it's not a strange question at all um, because it's important. And what, I'm, what I really appreciate is how players... Are, are very aware now that of the business element to a game that you can't be overly like a company can't be overly generous but they can't be overly they can't overly squeeze players of things um, and players need to understand that this, the success of the game that they like is not necessarily just reliant on player base there has to be revenue streams that are coming in especially for card games that are free download it you play it you can progress freely there needs to be some sort of way to you know for players to, to entice players to open their wallets and give money so that the actual company can be profitable and continue to make the game and that that in my opinion is if you're not putting out new cards you need to put out vanities and stuff for people who have all the cards how do you squeeze that out i think that this is a, a very important concern and I think the same way because I, I, I like 
I tell people all the time, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a bling player. I don't want my deck to be all foil. I don't need the coolest alternate arts of cards. I don't care about that. I just want a card that's legal to play in its cheapest form possible, and that's it. Uh, funny story. One of uh, um, a pro, uh, a pro flesh and blood player really needed a card that was very, very rare. That that was very popular and was hard to come by because it was it was super strong, and he found one in such ass condition it was like bent in half it there was like a tear on it but since it's you can still play it yeah it, since it's equipment it starts on the board so you don't have to shuffle it in so there's no way to the, so he paid like 40 dollars for like a 250 dollar card and like when he'd show up to matches i told him i'm like you know what'd be hilarious i'm like put all your equipment on and then pull out your wallet and pull out the folded card and put it on the board and then keep score on it <laughs> Keep your score on it. I thought that would be right. But oh. but yeah, like for non-vanity players, uh, you know, like myself, you know, there's very few parts that I would spend money for. But if they're like, I tell people like, you know what? Any Star Wars game that I play, if there's a Han Solo thing, I'm going to spend money to get that as a thing. In you know, for, for people who are as passionate about The Witcher as I am for Star Wars, you know, if somebody sees like a, like, um, uh, a Renfrew skin, let's say, obviously, or a Dagon skin, somebody might drop 10 bucks because they really like the character and they want it there. And I am echoing the concern here of there's not many ways for veterans to to be like, CDPR, take my, take my money, you know? Like, just take my money. I think it's this type of year, pretty much, which where we're kind of putting more vanity-related stuff into journeys themselves. Um, but I'm also, I also know that we have a lot of things that is happening behind the scenes in terms of like new leader skins. And there's like leader skins that we want to add to the game, but we're kind of afraid of just, you know, having one type of leader without being him or her part of a journey coming into the game, because we kind of spoil everybody with the, you know, if you have a journey character, that character needs customization and now we give you something that doesn't have customization and then players will come in like why doesn't this character have customization and that one has like that's not fair like i want this one to be also customizable so we kind of got ourselves into into this thing um but yeah there there is a lot of like new vanities that we're working on the the priority in terms of vanities still is us adding more vanities to the journeys which are making the return for players to have the possibility to unlock new stuff and also for players who haven't picked up the journeys to pick them up and get the old stuff plus the new stuff. So this is kind of where that is going. Um, the only thing, of course, are the are the packs that contribute to anything that is esports related. Those are kind of uh, happening. But apart from that, uh, there are some things which we're working on, which hopefully will release soon. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yep. beautiful. Uh, next question from... Uh... Our Voimil, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it correctly, from Reddit. I love this question. We may have actually touched upon this uh, once or twice, but I'm glad that it's here in, 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 uh, in officially. It says, uh, if Gwent's standard format allowed mixing two factions, which combinations would play each other nicely? MTG's Color Pie and Gwent, if you will. Great question. And this was how old school Arena used to be, and this is why I... Yep much prefer old school arena because you are allowed to cross pollinate and that's where a lot of the experience of saying like you know what this card and this card were great like these two cards together were <laughs> so cool what two factions would fit nicely together that's a tough one um i i, I have my answer but i want to hear yours first 
uh, Nilfgaard and Nord Nord Northern Realm, so people can be pissed off that this shouldn't happen because they're they're, they're they were in conflict. So, you just, <laughs> but, you're taking uh, the Joker it, answer of well, yeah, you just want yeah. to see the world burn. Yeah, I just want to see the world burn. For, but for me, I would like to play a mixture of uh, Nilfgaard and Scoia'tael. Uh, that would be really cool. I feel like like a like a nice controlly type of type of situation there. Um, with oh that would, yeah that would be cool. And uh, also like monsters with a little bit of Skellige. That also uh, would be nice. That's my answer. I would, I would I would mix those up. Monsters and Skellige is together. Like you want to talk about fat boy point slam? Yeah, the hottest. Not only that, <laughs> Deathwish and Selfoon together are yeah. like perfect, Oof. perfect yeah. together. I, my first thing that I fell on was Monsters and Nilfgaard, purple and red. Okay. No, sorry, mo sorry, Monsters and and Skellige, purple and red. Okay. And like you know how in in Magic you have names for this. There's like Azorius, there's Simic, yeah. there's uh, Demir. I'm trying to figure out a cool name for purple and red, uh, but <laughs> that's that's in my opinion. It, the first thing I would dive into was a self-wounding death wish list, or yeah, a that would be awesome. Fat boy thrive list. Oh, oh my! Fat boy thrive would totally work. Fat yeah. boy thrive is like the other major hotness, but yeah. that is the number one thing that popped in my mind. And if that was ever a situation, if there was ever a mini game or you know a seasonal where it's like, yeah, you can mix two factions jump right on that one that's where i feel until somebody breaks it and figures out like one interaction that's just over the top but that to me as a sustainable deck dex theme or synergy self-wounding death wish is the first thing i would touch on that would be amazing yeah that was the that was the the, the combination that i was also thinking about like uh that would just oh that would be so good right oh like like stick like a a, a priest next to any death wish so you're yeah. getting the value back i mean those those interactions already exist, but uh, with within Skellige, but self wound and all that stuff. Oh, it's just so good, so so good. All right, uh, last one. Last one by Phantom Mag once again. Uh, thank you for the question. A question to Burza since he read the books. Haha. <laughs> what character in the books that's not in Gwent yet you would like to see added one day? Flake can answer too, but not sure if he read the books. I read one. I read the first one. Um, yeah. I listen. Renfrey, where's where's Renfrey? Thank where's you. Ren Frey? Where's Renfrey? <laughs> you know what? The best in in uh, the book that I read, which is the one I think where he meets, is it he meets? It's the one with a uh, a Dahlia and like Princess and like uh, uh, is Regis in that one where he goes and like has dinner with Regis or something? Uh, it's like aren't aren't you talking about? Uh, didn't you read like the last wish, which is the first one? The last not, wish, yeah, that's the what I that I read. There's no Regis there. There's oh. no Hansa there yet. Uh, the he meets um, what's his name? There's the prince, like uh, the the, the yeah, the one who looks like a looks like a like cactus. a beast. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jesus, this was even in the Netflix series. It um, was in that book. I have uh, I have the name, but I need to remember it. In that book, there was one character that I was like, I would love to see this in uh, as a card. It was, um, my God, it was the chapter, uh, oh, right, Premium Token. That was the guy. That was the dude I would love to see is Mr. Premium Tokens. Um, I would love to have him <laughs> in the game. Uh, I think that's what I would like to see it in it the most. Mm -hmm. I can't. Jesus, now now it's going to haunt me because I have, I have the name on the tip of my tongue, but I can't freaking... Sean Astin. Mm -hmm. 
No. <laughs> Nivellin, 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 Nivellin. Am I? Yeah. Uh, I mean, once is yeah. once. Yeah, once... Nivellin, Nivellin. <laughs> He's the but, but Nivellin is a card already. Yeah, he is. Do you want another I'm one? Just, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just saying because you said that's the book you read, and and then you got me on the train of who's oh, the beast who's in it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I actually, I enjoyed the book. Um, the problem is, is that I have so many books that I like that I, I still have left to read. I'm very ambitious when it comes to if I like if I see a book that I want and it's like on sale or I can get it super cheap. I buy all my books from like a place called thriftbooks.com where you can get like Good. hardcovers for like three bucks and uh, and they sh like they ship them and the conditions are usually good. They're usually old books from libraries that they need to like cycle. So they sell them mm -hmm. off for super cheap and I pick them up. Um, but the amount I'm I'm so into Star Wars over that that I like to read canon uh, uh, Star Wars books that are canon. Uh, mm -hmm. to just kind of flesh out because you never know when a random character appears in a show or this or that and and that's yeah. usually where i go but like, like I, yeah i know that i yeah. know that mm -hmm. because from this book and this book and this book and this book i was like oh okay i got mm -hmm. it yeah that's kind of um that's kind of where i'm at with that but i like i like the books i i do i just i'm not um i, I don't think there's any character out of them that i i would i would that really stuck with me that is not already in the game so that's also how i feel but probably there, there, there is something that I'm missing. But Renfrey. It's been it's been some time since I read the books. But yeah, Renfrey, Renfrey for sure. Let's get Renfrey in the game, and yep. give Doctor Crotchet a rest. Time to rest. Time to rest, buddy. And then uh, hopefully no one else does this kind of hunger no, strike. No, there'll be there'll be a next. Oh, one, of course there will. Sure. It's gonna be premium tokens. Here's a fresh card for premium tokens until the end. Of or time. for Dagon, yeah. Whatever, do what you gotta do. Let's not let's not give them ideas. <laughs> no, that's it's gonna happen. I was actually gonna uh, what I, what I was thinking about doing was I wanted to say uh, custom card every day until um, off go gets a rework until something. And what I was going to do was I was gonna take designs of cards that had already existed that had already been reworked and changed, like all the way from beta and stuff like that. Ooh. And just to see how people you think. You like to see the world burn. <laughs> I do. I wanted to take cards that have already existed and then have people call them terrible or OP or whatever and a bad design or whatever. I'm like, okay. By the way, they used to be in the game. <laughs> yeah, these are all these all existed, by the way. Um, the problem is, is I looked for a database of old cards and it was, wasn't reliable to find. So if anybody's out there listening and has an actual database of every card and how, and it's, and it's progress sure. progression, that would be wicked cool, but... Um, I think if I dig up my old emails, even I, I remember I was sending like exports of old old card abilities to some people, like in beta times for for like a website that they were creating. So for sure, I could probably pull like the old ones for those you. Those would be so funny. But that was the plan that I wanted to do. I was gonna do. Nice. I wanted to do like a solid thir like thirty days in a row of like design or reworking cards, too, and then just show people like what old cards used to be like and and whatnot there you go <laughs> but, man one of the one of the things that i missed the most was um do you remember in old like old beta old old seleno harpy used to be like a, a five drop that used to spawn two egg eggs and if the eggs hatched they'd spawn like five drops or three drops uh the death wish was like spawn a, a harpy and it was mm -hmm. like a five it was like a four four strength unit and there was also a card that said like consume all one, one one strength creatures on the board, which is now Glusty Warp, but it yeah. used to exist. Like 
you used to be able to eat everything on the board, create like a bajillion points. Not only that, the other thing was old old school Triss Butterfly, which used to buff all the lowest units by one. So if there's ones on the board, they become twos, then all the twos become threes. And you load up the board with like all these that was crazy with monsters. Oh, back it in was the day. great. You jammed all these little eggs that nobody wanted to to pop because if they did, it was negative value. And then you drop yeah. Triss Butterfly on the board, and then she just boosts everything up, boosts everything up, and then they're like, "Oh no!" Um, and from round to round, all those eggs would pop, so you'd have like tw- fifteen points of carryover for free. So it was yeah. some psychotic stuff back in the day. Never take me back, but. Yeah. Uh, Good times, but crazy times. Crazy times. Pavel, it's been a pleasure. What a great episode. As always, man. Um, exactly. When I come visit, we're not we're not biking to Gnaisk. Well, we will take the... No, we'll take a train. Yeah, we'll take the train. And we can uh, sit next to each other, hold hands, and eat, eat yes. punchki together. Be... We can play Flesh and Blood because they have these little tables that you can play on. Oh, perfect. I um have a gigantic box of cards to bring with me when I come visit. All, nice. A lot of bulk from a lot of sets to to help yeah. you out in your uh, flesh and blood journey. Because I promise you, once you once you get past the the surface level and you start peeling layers back, you're like, damn, this is a deep ass game. Deep, Same deep, with deep any card game. game that that you get into. If you if you, I I always have this like, it's like it's like jumping into a pool on a hot summer day. You know it's freaking deep, but you want to jump into that cool cool water. And it's like when you take the leap of faith and when you jump in, it just feels so good. It feels so good. good. Once you get past that shock of like, oh my God, you're like, well, this is freaking nice. Oh yeah. Dude, I, I, the first time I played Gwent, I played Gwent for uh, a few hours and the first time, and then I uninstalled it and I had no interest. And then it was McBeard who said, give it another try. And I was like, all right. I'm like, it seems pretty dumb to me. It seems pretty basic. And then as I started to, unlock i'm like oh i unlocked this card this card's fascinating and boom 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 and you know yeah. ten thousand gameplay hours later here i am being like ah okay yeah it's a pretty good game not gonna lie okay that is an episode my friend as always we're gonna end this the way i ended all the time i love you pavel i love you too man <laughs> good as you should i love you all right exactly. so Friends, thank you so much for listening to the Flurza Experience, a show about card games. If you have any more questions, uh, feel free to uh, reach out and uh, send them our way. Same goes for topics. If you have a topic idea, fire it at our way. We're more Mm -hmm. than happy to to get some stuff. We have a lot of our own ideas, but if there is something that piques your interest, let us know. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. So thank you so much. And friends, don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning. Keep playing the game. We will catch you next week on the Flurza Experience. Exactly. Bye.